Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Chapter 20, Second Kings chapter 20. So if you're looking around and seeing uh, some of us dressed in uh, clothing from other places, uh, again, uh, that is because we are observing Uh, A World Evangelism Sunday, so last Sunday of each and every month, uh, we think about and we pray for the needs of those in other nations. And on this particular World Evangelism Sunday, as we have returned from the nation of Romania, I want to uh, take the opportunity this morning to shine a light on a group of people that perhaps has escaped the attention of and the cares and concerns of many, many people in our generation. I have some pictures back there on that computer that I'd like to show. And I want to begin this morning by sharing with you the tragic life, or the tragic story of a life that was cut short. I'd like you to show her picture. Her name was Akira Monet. And just uh, a few weeks ago, one week before school began... Uh, She was a cheerleader at the age of 16 years old, and in Chicago, Illinois, uh, there was a tragedy that took place. Akira Monet Boston had a lot going for her. She was only a week from starting her junior year at the Simeon Career Academy, her third year on the cheerleading squad, and had her sights set on furthering education and a career in cosmetology. But on uh, August 29th, 2019, her life was, quote, snuffed out without warning. She was the unintended target of gunfire meant for someone else in Dalton, uh, an area of Chicago, her family said. Uh, Her stepfather, Daryl Smith, said about her that she was a beautiful young lady. She tried to make other people beautiful. Sixteen years old, she was shot and killed. When someone fired into a car parked outside a convenience store, according to police. Police said that she was sitting in a car parked outside a convenience store. Another car pulled up next to her. A gunman got out and opened fire. Police said they don't believe that she was the target, but she was shot twice in the abdomen and died of her injuries. Since third grade, she had been a cheerleader, and it was her joy. She loved being a makeup artist and doing hair She had plans to pursue that as a career and taking cosmetology school. Her stepfather said that she had the biggest heart and the biggest smile. She was just a sweet kid whose life was snuffed out without warning. It's a sad story, isn't it? And when a life like that, a life that has promise, a life that has dreams and desires... We look at a situation like that and we uh, are saddened 
that a life got cut short. And we should, we should grieve at a life cut short. It's tragic for us when we think about perhaps years that we're in front of someone like this. But I want to show you uh, another picture of someone that we don't often think about. And yet every day and every night, there are lives like Akira's that are being cut short before their time has come. You can show that second picture. This is a picture of a baby in the womb about 15 weeks old. And uh, it's a beautiful picture. This is real photography of the, the profile of a baby growing inside mother's womb. And the tragedy is that it is perfectly legal to snuff the life of that little baby out. It is perfectly legal in the United States to end that life as if it means nothing. And I want to ask you to consider with me, is that picture, is that person any less valuable than Akira? Is that person worth protecting? Or do we just turn our heads and forget that people like that still exist? You can. There's one more that you can show. It's another beautiful f- photograph. Our projector is having uh, position problems. But this is also another real photograph of... And, and when you look at that and consider that every day, every day in the United States and around the world, that... Babies this size are being torn apart, limb from limb, and sucked out of the womb. And uh, if you were here last night, we showed a film that depicted this. It's a horrible and horrific thing that takes place when you really think about it. And yet, in our country today, that procedure is something that is celebrated and proposed by many, many people. And so I want to preach a message this morning that uh, comes from a scripture you might not think is related to this issue, uh, but I was amazed as we were reading through our our Bible reading plan that uh, this scripture came up. This comes from 2 Kings chapter 20, a story about King Hezekiah. You can leave that picture up on the the board there. And uh, let's consider this message today, a message I've titled Life Extenders. 2 Kings chapter 20. I want to read beginning with verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. Isaiah the prophet, son of Amos, went to him and said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart, and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for the blood that was shed so that we can have salvation. I thank you for the opportunity we have to gather in this place. God, I pray that you would help us to be open to your word today, that you would speak to us and speak through us. God, make us change makers in this generation. God, that we would influence our culture. God, that the people here today would not sit aside while evil is happening in our community. 
But God, that you would give us the courage and the boldness to stand up for what is right. And God, we thank you for all that you're going to do in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say. This morning, I want to uh, take the opportunity to share with you what God is doing in our nation. This is a story that we read from the Bible, 2 Kings chapter 20, about King Hezekiah. And we pick up his story as he is facing certain demise. Now, if I came to you this morning and I gave you the news that you're about to die, uh, that would be pretty serious, right? You should be pretty concerned about that. Uh, It's the same. Maybe you know of someone or maybe you've experienced someone goes to the doctor for a normal routine checkup and they do blood work and come back with a terrible report. Oh, no, there's cancer or oh, no, there's leukemia or oh, no, there's some kind of terrible disease. How many know that that in those moments it is very serious and traumatic that our minds begin to shift about what is truly important in life. In the story that we read, this is exactly the news that King Hezekiah received from the prophet Isaiah. And so just to understand a little bit more about this king of Israel, his name literally means strengthened by Jehovah. And if you know the account of his life in the scripture, you will know that King Hezekiah had a fantastic reputation. He was known by the people of Israel as a great and a good king who did many great deeds for the kingdom of God and for the nation of Israel. The Bible says about him that he followed in the example of his great-grandfather, whose name was Uzziah. He had set himself to tear down idols and to abolish the worship of other gods from the kingdom of Israel. He did many things that God was happy about and that the nation benefited from. It says about his life in 2 Kings chapter 18, just a couple chapters before, this was the this was the story of Hezekiah's life that he removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden images and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. And it's uh, an interesting story that we don't have time for this morning. But the Bible tells us that the same bronze serpent that Moses lifted up in the wilderness, people looked at it and were healed. You remember that story? Uh, And it's interesting that over time, over generations that have passed, that this bronze serpent that brought healing to the people had turned into an idol, that people had taken it and had used it for worshiping, and they began praying to it, and God was not pleased with that. So when Hezekiah came on the scene, he took the bold action of destroying that artifact. And this is just one example of many things that Hezekiah did to bring a balance and order into the kingdom of Israel. He had a great reputation in the scriptures. One of the very few kings of Israel who did not have major scandal or idol worship. Again, in 2 Kings 18, we're reading about Hezekiah in verse 3. It says that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. 
according to all that his father David had done. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor were before him. He held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. I want to tell you that that is something that, you know, every single one of us should desire to be said about us. That Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now stick with me. There's a reason I'm talking about Hezekiah related to the unborn. The reason this morning that we look at Hezekiah and we read this story about how Isaiah then comes to him in our scripture. And Isaiah delivers to him the news that he is sick and he is about to die. So as I began to read this story, I was reminded of the issue. Um, A few weeks ago, we set in order that this weekend would be a weekend to support life. And God is the one orchestrating. We showed this movie, Unplanned, last night. It was a powerful film. Uh, It's a haunting film that's going to stick with us, those of us who saw it. It's going to stick with us for a long time. Uh, And and together with that, uh, for several weeks now, I've been thinking about and praying about what to preach on this morning's service in support of the unborn. And it just so happens that our Bible reading plan took us through this particular chapter in 2 Kings chapter 20 as we read about Hezekiah. And as I was thinking and praying about this issue of, uh, of supporting and praying for and believing God to end the issue of abortion in our nation, I don't think it's an accident and I don't think it's a coincidence that God brought us to this story of Hezekiah. Because I believe as we look at Hezekiah and his uh, situation, God said you're about to die, that we can see someone else in Hezekiah's life. And as I look at Hezekiah, do you know who I see? I see the faces of millions of unborn children whose lives are about to be cut short who have no, uh, no reason for God's judgment. In Hezekiah, the reason I went into his background and spoke about um, how he was faithful to the Lord is because there's no direct connection. Like, there's many kings that I could see, okay, God, I understand why it's okay to kill that dude. You know, it, it's okay because he allowed idolatry. And, you know, like King Ahab and Jezebel, you know, I could see, God, if it's okay for, you know, for, for them to experience a sickness and die. That'd be okay with me, right? They did a lot of evil things. But King Hezekiah was a good man. And he held fast to the things of God. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And much the same way, when I think about the world that we're living in, you know, I could see possibly how God could bring judgment on many people. There's a lot of people that, you know, if we have a desire for justice in our world, to see the evildoers punished, that we can see, okay, there's some people that deserve punishment, that deserve God's judgment. Me being one of them, because I know how evil I am and how many wicked things that I've done. And God, I deserve your judgment because of the sins that I've committed against you. But the unborn, those who have not even had a chance to breathe 
oxygen in their lungs. Those who have not had a chance to see outside of their mother's womb. Those who still are innocent in the eyes of God and of man. I believe that this is a good parallel to King Hezekiah. God, they don't deserve what they're getting. They don't deserve. And the problem is that this is an issue that is, that is uh, resisted against by the forces of this world. The forces that say, oh, women's rights, the, the ability to choose is going to be more important than that life. And I am not one here to twist people's arms. I, I don't want to manipulate people. But at some point we have to understand that the right for that child to live is more important than someone's convenience. The right for that person to thrive and survive is more important than whether or not a woman is going to have a hard time. See, what we find in our scripture is King Hezekiah. The news is delivered to him. Set your house in order, for you're going to die, and you're not going to live. And the reaction that Hezekiah has is normal, is the same reaction that you would have. Hezekiah doesn't say, okay, I guess that's it for me. I guess it's just my time. No. Hezekiah had been doing good work, had been doing a good job, has been enjoying his time as king, had been making a difference with his life, and when he began to stare the reality of death in the face, he says, I don't want that. And that's the right way to act. Because I believe this morning that death was never supposed to be part of our lives. God did not create death. I want you to stick with me this morning. Death was not part of God's original creation. When God created Adam and Eve in the garden, he created them to live forever, the same way that God lives forever. And the life that God gave to them was life without boundaries. As long as they existed in God's perfection, as long as they obeyed his commandments, Adam and Eve, their bodies were designed to last forever. And they wouldn't have never expired. But God gave them one little thing to follow. He says, over here, this is my tree. This tree is going to bear fruit. And you can have fruit from every other tree that you want. But this is my tree. And you're not going to eat the fruit from my tree. And if you do eat the fruit, you know what's going to happen? You're going to die. Simple. One boundary. With all the freedoms that Adam and Eve had, there was one tree with one fruit that God said, if you eat that fruit, that will bring death. God did not want them to do this. God did not intend for them to do this. But God issued them that warning and said, if you eat the fruit, you will die. Now, we understand that in Genesis chapter 3, as Adam and Eve were beguiled by the devil, as they entered into temptation, as they took of the fruit and they ate, the Bible tells us that they ate the fruit, but how many know they didn't die instantly, right? They didn't just fall over and kick the bucket that moment. 
But at that moment, God introduced into the creation something that was not there before. And it was the curse. There was a curse that was placed on the man, a curse that was placed on the woman, a curse that was placed on the serpent, and a fourth curse that was placed on the earth itself. So sin, the act of rebellion against a holy God, introduced something new to the creation that was not there before. And it was the issue of death. Death is unnatural to the human experience. Have you ever been to a funeral? It doesn't seem right, does it? It doesn't seem right. Because it's not right. Humans were not made to die. We understand that, you know, that animals, they pass on. And man, it, it hurts. Even animals, right? If you have a dog that you're close to or a cat, and they've been a family, part of their family for many years, and then they pass away, and it's like you're losing part of yourself. Something's wrong with this picture, isn't it? God didn't make them to die. God didn't make us to die. Death is not part of God's original plan. And that's why we react like King Hezekiah when the news is delivered that life is going to be cut short as a result of sin. Now, we re- I read you this story about this girl that was shot in Chicago at 16 years old. And yes, it's a tragedy for people to die at age 16. But can I tell you, it's also a tragedy when you die at 90 years old or 100 years old. Because I believe, you know, we say to ourselves, well, you know, I, what, what, what else can I do if I'm 80 years old or 90 years old? But when you get there, you're going to feel like Hezekiah. I feel like I still have something that I can offer to this world. Only a twisted person and a twisted mentality would say, ah, there's nothing left for me to do. Because I believe that God created us to live and not die. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. And so built into this story this morning is the desire that we should all have to support life. Principles that give life. Principles that, that, will, uh, that will help people to live well and live better. We are on the side of life this morning. And you can see how Hezekiah reacted in verse 2 as he receives the news. You know, there are people in this world who are in love with death. There is a certain death culture. We've seen it come to prominence in recent times. The love of zombie films and TV shows. The culture that, that glorifies blood and gore. The culture that loves to see people suffering. There there are people who have mental illnesses that will cut themselves. Or take drugs. Because there's a certain temporary high that is taken out of those actions. But what it really is at the core, it's a love of death. There are religions in the world. False religions. The kind where it glorifies death. It's the kind of 
uh, uh, radical Islamic terrorist worldview that says, uh, I would love to kill more than I would want to live. It's those 19 hijackers that got on airplanes and cut the throats and took the lives of 3,000 people on 9-11. And the worldview of someone like that says that they love death more than they love life. Now we understand this morning that sometimes in the pursuit of life, we must make sacrifices. Even Jesus went to the cross to die. He chose to do it because he understood that through his sacrifice that others will live. But this morning, the worldview that says that is in love with death is a demonic culture. The Bible says about Satan that he came to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And that is still true today. That the enemy desires to kill every one of God's creation. Do you know why the devil hates you so much? Do you know why the devil hates that little baby in the mother's womb? Because the Bible tells us that we are created in God's image. How many knew that today? That when God created Adam and Eve, he created them differently than the rest of the animal kingdom. He created people in his own image, bearing the image of the creator himself. And let me just remind you this morning that every person here, no matter how big or small, no matter what color of your skin, how much money is in your bank account, you were created in God's image. As we went to Romania, we visited a a neighborhood in Bucharest, massive city, three million plus people. But we went to a neighborhood of that city called Ferentar. And as we entered in, it's amazing, you know, uh, we're we're seeing the the growth and the the financial power of this city. Romania is rising up as a prominent uh, nation in Eastern Europe. And they have been thriving ever since the, the wall came down in 1989. And as they're um, embracing market principles and they're seeing their economy thrive and many good things are happening in Romania and especially in Bucharest. We saw fancy cars on the road. We saw Ferraris. We saw Audis. We saw BMWs. We saw amazing wealth that people are gaining. But as we went into this neighborhood called Ferentar, I was amazed because it was like driving into a third world nation. We entered in one street, took a couple of turns, and as we got there on the street, there was a pile of trash that was taller than me. The blocks, it was like like a ghost town. The smell was horrible. People didn't have power. And uh, this neighborhood is known to have uh, people who are addicted to drugs. It was incredible. There's people wandering around the streets who were addicted to heroin. One lady we saw who was wobbling, looked like a zombie, her eyes completely empty. And as we're there, handing out flyers, singing some songs, you know, it's just amazing to see that here's this neighborhood where people are so lost, so lost, so much in need of Jesus. But as we're there, I'm reminded again that these people are more than just dogs on the street. These people, even in how lost they are, that they were created in God's image and that's why they are worthy of our attention. 
That's why that it's okay for Christians to go into a place that smells bad. Into a place where there's no power, no lights. Into a place where people have needles hanging out of their arms. They are worth the blood of Jesus. The price that was paid on the cross was also paid for them. And that's why we went there. That's why when the opportunity came, we said, yes, we want to see that because those people are made in God's image and they are worth something. We can't just forget them and let them die. And in the same way this morning, when King Hezekiah said that he's about to die, he didn't just roll over and say, oh, well, I guess that's how it's going to be. He says, no, life is worth something. And he began to pray. And in the same way this morning, there are people, they are smaller than us. They are hidden from our eyes. We don't see them yet. They are still in their mother's wombs. But I want to remind you that they too have been made in God's image. That they are crafted by God's hand. That no matter how small they might be, but from the day that they were conceived, they have value in the eyes of God. That the blood of Jesus was also shed for small people. For those who haven't breathed oxygen yet. For those who haven't had the chance yet to cry out after they've been born. But they are just as alive. They are just as valuable as anyone here today. And we cannot forget them. That's why when we learn that there are still 875,000 abortions happening every year in the United States of America, I just want you to think about that. 875,000. Now that figure has come down. Thank God. It's on the decline. That in the last seven years, in 2011, the number was above 1.2 million abortions in America per year. Now it's come down in the last couple of years to 870. But doesn't that grieve your heart? Think about this. The millennial generation, that's people who are about 35 and under. The millennial generation, they say about one-third of millennials have died as a result of abortion. A third. If abortion had been illegal during this time, the millennial generation would be the largest generation in American history. They say that in New York City alone, 60% of black babies are destroyed by abortion. 60%. Just in New York City. Made in the image of God. Carrying the value and worth. And so, when we hear that, I want you to feel what Hezekiah felt at this news. It says in verse 2 that he turned his face toward the wall. And he prayed to the Lord. Why did he pray? And what was his prayer? Look at verse 3 as we're reminded. He says, remember now, O Lord, I pray. 
how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart, and I have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. In other words, Hezekiah's prayer was, God, remember me. God, remember what I've done. God, extend my life. God, I don't want, there's still things that I can do for you, Lord. There's still things that I want to accomplish. And I want to say right here that the people of God and Christians in this nation, this is the same kind of prayer that we can be offering for the Hezekiah who's still in the womb. God, extend their life before their time is cut short, before their days are snuffed out. God, remember what is possible with them. I've mentioned in the last couple of weeks that there is a national, international campaign that is taking place called 40 Days for Life. And I have come today with this message that I believe we should all put our support into this kind of a cause. 40 Days for Life. And what it is, it is simply a time of 40 days. It started last Wednesday. And from the last Wednesday for 40 days, that groups are organized all across America and around the world. And it is simply a call to do what Hezekiah did. Simply a call to pray. Pray. I believe that there is power in prayer. How many still believe that? We saw it in the film last night. In that film, there was a group of people. Sean Carney is the leader of this organization. Him and just a few people gathered at a Planned Parenthood facility to stand outside the gates and pray. That's all they did for years, for months and years. They stood out there and prayed as women came in. They prayed for them. As the tubs filled with aborted baby fetuses came out of the building. So powerful in that film. They put their hands out and prayed that God would end the sin of abortion. And ever since then, that's been seven years since they started this campaign. And since then, this campaign has reached over 90 different nations to simply stand outside a Planned Parenthood or another abortion facility and pray. And a similar kind of prayer that Hezekiah prayed, Lord, you see that there is potential. You see that these lives are being cut short. And the prayer is God, extend their lives. And I want to show you as we close this morning that God answered this prayer. God answered this prayer. Look at verse 4. It happened before Isaiah had gone out to the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake. In other words, this morning, God said to Hezekiah, 
your prayer has had power. Your prayer has been heard. And as a result, Hezekiah, I will extend your life. You will have another 15 years. What a miracle. And as a sign that this miracle will take place, Hezekiah asks Isaiah in verse 8, he says, what's the sign that the Lord will heal me? And that I will go up to the house of the Lord on the third day. Isaiah said, this is the sign. That he that uh, that the shadow will go forward. Or backward, rather, 10 degrees. And verse 11, Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. Now, I just, you know, the uh, astronomers and people who study science will think, okay, that's just, that's just foolishness. That could never happen. <laughs> what has to happen for a shadow to go backward 10 degrees? God has to stop the earth from spinning and turn it back a little bit. So I don't know exactly how God did that. I don't have to know. But here's the point today. That God so much loved the prayer of Hezekiah that he chose to turn the world backwards to prove to him that your life is worth something. There are 875,000 little lives that are just as important as King Hezekiah. And I believe we are living in a time today, in 2019, that God is turning the world backwards to restore rights to those who don't have them. I am confident that in 20 or 30 years, however long it might take, the laws for abortion will be changed in our nation. I'm confident that the mistake that was made in 1973, the grievous mistake, since then, over 65 million lives have been legally aborted in our nation. 65 million lives. Feel that. 65 million little Hezekiahs. My call to action today is that we, like Hezekiah, we would pray. I'm not calling you to be violent. Far from it. We know that the greatest change that we can effect with our lives is through the power of prayer and fasting. And that's why I believe that God has blessed this movement of 40 Days for Life. God has made them very effective. That in that time, there have been 17 Planned Parenthood facilities that have shut their doors as a result of prayer. That there have been more than 100 abortion workers, people who work in those very facilities, more than 100 of them have made the decision to leave their jobs as a result of prayer. And of the children that we know of, only the ones that we know of, more than 17,000 women have made the decision to keep their babies as a result of this 40 Days for Life campaign. And that's only the ones we know about. Who knows how many more thousands 
have been influenced by the power of prayer. A prayer like Hezekiah prayed, Lord, extend their days. Extend their years. And right now we are living in the midst of a time that God is opening doors. God is changing politics. God is changing ultimately the hearts of this nation to turn things back to a day when we loved life and we defended life. We live in a nation that defends the right to life. It's right there in our First Amendment, isn't it? The right to life. The right to liberty. And in a nation that extends those rights, the right to live, it's your most basic life. If you don't have the right to live, then how can you defend your right to have a firearm? That's why it's the First Amendment. The right to live. But in our nation today, people that size don't have that right. It's perfectly legal and celebrated by many to snuff them out. But I want to close with this thought. God turned the world to prove to Hezekiah that your life matters. My dream and my goal, and I'm not alone in this dream, is to see abortion outlawed in our nation once again. To see it outlawed. It should, be not be, it should not be legal for me to kill you. It's a good thing we have laws against murder, right? And it also should not be legal to murder a small version of you. And I believe right now we are living in the time that 50 years or 100 years from now, we will look back on our time and we will say, how is it possible that they let that happen? The same way that you and I look back today and we get angry with the, 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 the forefathers of our, gen, of our nation and we say, how is it that they could allow slavery to be among them? Even some of our founders, even some of those who wrote our declaration and our constitution, and we're amazed. And it doesn't make sense to us that they could be writing these incredible words and at the same time go home to a plantation where somebody's cracking a whip. And we think, how is that possible that they allowed slavery to exist? Because today we have a new perspective, don't we? I believe 100 years from now, your children and your grandchildren will look back on our time and say, how is it possible that they allowed this evil 65 million How does that change take place? When people like you and people like me will make a decision to pray. I'm not calling on you to give thousands and thousands of dollars, although that would help also. (laughs) But I'm calling on you, the people of God, to pray the same prayer of Hezekiah. Lord, extend their lives. Give them the chance to live. And to do that, I've printed a sign-up sheet. funny every sermon ends with a sign-up sheet we're going to put this out on the table i've signed up our church for four slots each on thursday nights 
to do what I've spoken of, to go to the Planned Parenthood that is on Newtown Road and to simply pray. The hour will be 6 to 7 p.m. on Thursdays during the month of October. So each Thursday, I'm going to be there from 6 to 7 p.m. to pray. Now, I've done this before, and I thought to myself, yeah, what's the big deal? You know, there's probably not a whole lot of people there. There's cars passing on the street. But you know something? I was absolutely amazed. The times that I've done it, I've been amazed at the spiritual battle that is taking place out in front of that building. I'm amazed at how I felt the forces of hell begin to attack my mind. I'm amazed because the devil does not want this to change. He's happy with the laws as they are now. But I tell you, God is doing something in our generation. And so I'm simply asking you to put your name on this and to check the days that you can come on Thursdays from 6 to 7 p.m. during the month of October. And we're going to believe God that that Planned Parenthood on Newtown Road, that as of today, lives like that are being snuffed out. Who knows how many thousands in our community that would still be with us. But we can pray. Lord, extend their lives. Let's bow our heads this morning and close our eyes as we bring the service to a close. I'm so grateful for people who hear this call. And it would be a mistake for me as a preacher to defend the rights of the unborn and to stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. It would be not right for me to do that for a whole sermon without giving you the opportunity this morning to have your life defended. You know, the gospel message, the gospel of Jesus is a very simple message. It's the message that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That every one of us, we have rebelled against a holy God and we deserve his condemnation. If we can be honest for a moment, you can say about yourself, yes, it's true. I know that I've done a lot of wrong things. And I don't deserve God's mercy. I know that I don't. But the good news of the gospel today is that even though you've fallen short, even though we deserve God's wrath and condemnation, He has done something incredible for us. He sent His Son, Jesus. 2,000 years ago, the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God was sent to the world. He lived a life that you and I cannot dream of. A life free from sin. A life without lies. Without theft. Without lust. Without hatred. Without bitterness. He lived 33 years on this earth, a perfect life that you and I can only dream of. And what did he get for this perfect life? He was rejected by the world. He was crucified and killed on a Roman cross. He received the wrath and condemnation for your sins. And the Bible says something miraculous happened as he hung on the cross that day. It says that God turned his very face away from his son. 
And Jesus cried out from the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now we can look back and we can understand the reason that God forsook Jesus on the cross is because in that moment he was paying the price. He was paying the price for your sins and for mine. And on that cross, he took the punishment that I deserve. He took the punishment that you deserve. He took God's wrath and condemnation on that cross But I want to give you the good news that even though Jesus died, it was not his last. His days were extended. Jesus Christ took power over death and power over sin. And three days later rose from the tomb and took dominion over the curse of death. That same curse that God delivered in the Garden of Eden. That what Jesus did on the cross was he broke the power of that curse. And as we're here today, he is offering salvation to you and I. If you will believe and turn from your sins, then you can have redemption. You can have salvation, the free gift of everlasting life restored to humanity. How? Through the blood of Jesus. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vvph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.